All righty. Thank you, Chris. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark. Mark and chapter number 12 is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 12. And uh, Mark chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse number 28. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 28. And one of the scribes came... And having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Father, would you bless today, speak to every heart, still us, Lord, bring us into one accord, our thoughts, our minds. Lord, remove the distractions And help us, dear God, I pray, to get from this, Lord, what only you can give us. And we'll thank you for what you do. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, I pray these things. Amen. This is Have a Heart Month here at South Valley, and we're going to be dealing every Sunday with having a healthy heart in a spiritual, uh, biblical sense of the word. I heard a statement not long ago that, rings very true, and the statement was this, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It's a very true statement. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22 and verse 23, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Jesus said that. What Jesus is telling us simply here, that it is true. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. All of our problems originate from down deep inside that inner man, that inner person that we call the heart. No wonder the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, give me thine heart for out of it are the issues of life. No wonder David prayed in Psalm 19 and verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. No wonder, after he miserably failed God and and strayed from the will of God for his life, that he prayed in repentance out of Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. No wonder he realized in Psalm 66, in verse number 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. No wonder Solomon warns in Solomon, uh, the the book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 14, the backslider in heart 
will be filled with his own ways. No wonder the Bible bluntly states in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse, uh, 28, verse 26, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. And then there is that bluntly rhetorical question, so revealing in Jeremiah 17, 9, where the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And here's the question, who can know it? Who can know it? It's rhetorical. The answer comes back echoing from everything the Bible says, and that is that none of us truly know the potential of wickedness and sinfulness down in our heart. And that's just for starters. That's just it for starters. God tells us that the problem, that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, and then He tells us that that's exactly what He wants from us is our hearts. The thing He desires most, the most valuable excuse me, real estate in the entire world is not a plot of land. It's not, it's, it's not a national park. It's not a place of striking beauty that you may find to be your paradise on earth. The most valuable real estate in all the world to God is the human heart. And he tells us that that's exactly what he wants. And here's the key. He wants every single inch of it. God's not satisfied with a partial gift. God doesn't want part of your heart, part of who you are. God is looking uh, to us and, and desiring our heart. Psalm 86, verse 12, David said, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. David said, I know what God wants from me, and I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give God all my heart. Can I ask you a question? Please don't speak out loud, but please be bluntly honest with yourself. Does God have your heart? Would you make an assessment as to whether God has your heart and how much of your heart He has? I pray that somehow we won't fall into the trap that is so familiar today that somehow we can be followers of Jesus and yet not really follow what Jesus says in His Word. That's, that is the most singularly ludicrous thing that has ever come off the presses and swept across our nation. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without following Jesus. People are off doing their own thing. They, they're, not, they're not faithful to his house. They're not faithful to his word. They're not faithful in witnessing to others. And yet they have declared themselves to be followers of Jesus. And so you, you have to assess yourself honestly. Or there's, nowhere, there's no way you can make any improvement in your life unless you're honest. He wants my heart. I wonder how much of it he really has. Psalm 119 verse 2 Blessed are they that keep His testimonies, that seek Him, listen to this, with the whole heart. Do you seek Him with the whole heart? Boy, aren't we crowded? Is your life like that? Is it crowded? A lot of things vying for your attention? I think we could all probably say that in all honesty. Sometimes it's things we let in, but our life gets crowded. And you know the truth of the matter is most of the time, is it not true? 
that when our life gets crowded, the, the person that's crowded out the most is most often the Lord and His Word and the things that we know He wants us to do they for some reason take on a lesser um, priority in our life because other, here's what happens, good things. I've never had anybody say to me, Preacher, I wasn't able to read my Bible today because I was, I, was, I was making some meth in the basement. And I just got, man, I got so tied up doing that. You know, I got a big sale coming this afternoon. And it was, it, the pressure was on me. I couldn't read my Bible. Nobody's ever said that. I've never said to anybody, Preacher, I, look, I was robbing a store. And I, I really meant to come out and do some door knocking, but I couldn't make it because I was heisting a store down the road. Made some good money. Nobody ever said that to me. So what are you saying? What's the point? The point is this. The best is crowded out by the good. It, it's not bad things. It's good things that crowd into our life, and the most important things get crowded out of our life, and we give God the leftovers. Mark twelve thirty, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's the message. God wants our heart and he wants every single bit of it. Now, the reality of the matter is that God wants us to have healthy hearts. That's that inner, it's not the blood pump that Nathan had a little problem with last. That's not what that's about. Not the blood pump that, 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 that some of you have had struggle. That's not what he's talking about. The heart is that inner sanctum, that inner you, that inner person. And God wants us to have healthy hearts. The seat of our emotions, the thing that drives us in our passions, because God knows that, that, that it is our heart that determines who and how we love, who we love and how we love them, all emanates from the heart. Now, let me say this. If our heart isn't healthy, we love sin and self, and the world. Whenever you hear somebody and their whole conversation is about them, the reality of the matter, that's a, that's a, that's a, very, that's a very telling statement on their spiritual condition. Sin and self, we talk about the world, our conversation is worldly. Why is that? Because our heart isn't healthy. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. First John chapter 2, it's very clear. Don't love the world. Don't love pride. Don't love self. You see. If your heart is healthy, then uh, we love God and we love others. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment. I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples and that ye have loved one for another. Isn't it funny how we think we make a testimony for the Lord? Isn't it hysterical to me? It's all pride. It's all about us, about what we've accomplished and what we've done. And so here we are. I mean, we're, we're Bible believers. So we get some glue and we stick our, our Bible right up in our armpit and we walk along because that's the testimony. We, Here and shall all men know that you're my disciples. You've got solid doctrine. No, that's good. That's not how they know that you're a disciple of the Lord. 
it's not, it's not all the external things that we create that we think make us look like a Christian. And, and those things are impacted by our walk with God. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, let me tell you how the world is going to see you as my disciple, and that is that you love. You, you, you have to have love. You have to love one another. Herein shall all men know that you are my disciples, and that ye have love one to another. And that's the thing we push on the back burner. Because quite honestly, it's the thing we struggle most with as believers. We're conservative, fundamental. We have all of our I's dotted, all of our T's crossed. We walk around with our own spiritual traditions and phylacteries. And we think that because of that, people say, wow, I'm impressed. They're not impressed at all. You, you reach people, you, you ground people through doctrine, but you reach people through love. I, I've told you before, when I was a kid and I needed to take some aspirin, my mother would put an aspirin in a spoon and, 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 and put some sugar in it. And she'd move it. I remember her moving it with her finger so that the aspirin would dissolve. You know why? Because it was bitter. And at that age, I struggled with swallowing things. And so she, she'd, she'd get that, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Mary Poppins didn't come up with that. My mother did. But anyhow, so she got that. We should sue them and make money. But anyhow, so she got that thing. And you know what? It, it would go down. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what love does. Love, love makes doctrine palatable. When you love somebody, you're far more likely to be able to teach them and influence them doctrinally than if you lead with your doctrine and you shove it down their throat. Herein shall all men know that you're my disciples and that you have love one for another. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a number of weeks ago now, God placed a phrase on my heart as I studied his word, and the phrase was more and more. And I got curious about that, because when you read more and more, it means that God wants you to double down on something, that there's a, there's a need to advance, a need to go forward, a need to increase, a need to multiply. And so I, I, began, I, I became curious about what exactly is it that God wants us to do more and more. And as I, I found the three verses in the New Testament that deal with that, it was fascinating to me that all three of those verses deal with the subject of love. Every time God said more and more, He was talking about love in, in one aspect, and then another, and then another. So the three, the three phases all teach us God wants us to love more and more, and that more and more, that increase, that double downing on love that God wants us to do in our life, all shows us a different angle and a different aspect of love. And, and, and so God, God, wants to, uh, God wants us to love more and more. And, and, and I think that you know <coughs> that the, the base layer of everything that we do as, as believers is love. I want you to listen to me. That's absolutely essential, <coughs> excuse me, to us becoming Christ-like. Loving, loving is essential. I don't care what you believe. 
I don't care how many chapters in the Bible you read every day. There are even good things we do that are prideful things that make us talk about ourselves and brag about what we've accomplished. And the reality of the matter is none of those things really matter if we don't have love as a base layer of who we are and what we do. It's love. That's what God says. That's what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a word there called charity. What is charity? It's love in action. He, he, he uses the word charity rather than the word love because he's trying to show us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is active. It's proactive. Love doesn't sit down and feel. Love gets up and expresses. Love, love isn't some dormant thing that sits there and all of a sudden you get overwhelmed with goosebumps and the feeling of, boy, I have these emotions for somebody. That's not what it's about. Love gets up and moves and works and, and, and has uh, emotion and, and, and deep feeling toward people. It's charity. And so, so it's, I've said this before, it's love with his work clothes on. So, so look at that. First Corinthians chapter 13. You want to turn there? I'll, I'll give you just a second. First Corinthians chapter 13, look at it and see what God is saying to us about love, all right? First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, listen to this, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, if you've got love, that can harmonize with an orchestra. Brass is good. Symbols are good. But if you just go off somewhere and I, I say, hey, you know what, I'm excited today. Uh, my grandson, uh, Jason, is here. He's going to get up and play the symbols for us today. Nobody's going to weep and say, Jason, that was amazing. No, it's like, what, 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 what was the song? Nobody knows the song. Why? Because the symbol isn't a singular instrument. So he's saying this. You can, you can do everything you want to do, but if you don't have love harmonizing what you do, it's, it, it makes no sense. It brings no blessing. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am... What's that next word? Nothing. That's, I don't know what else to say with that. Here's your testimony. I'm nothing. If you don't love, if what you do is it by love, here's your testimony. I'm nothing. I'm, there's no, I've done nothing. I've accomplished nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, well, that's a good thing to do, and though I give my body to be burned, well, that's sacrificial, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So, so it, it's expressing itself. Now, let me do this. I'm going to give you a couple of quick points, but I want you to listen to me. Here we are, the first Sunday in the second month in 2020, okay? Can I tell you this? There's nothing that you could do that would be more beneficial to you than to love more and more. If there's a goal in your life, you ought to have it. It ought to be to love more, to love more. To love more and more. If, if, there's, if there's something that you want to do that, 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 that can really help. And look, I, look, I'm sure you've got all different kinds of goals. I'm not, against, 
I'm not against, uh, you know, I was cutting up the other day about the gym. You go in the gym now, there's 482 people in line for one machine, and one guy gets on there with his cell phone. Never mind. But anyhow, uh, you know, you're waiting to use the lift machine, and he's looking at his cell phone talking to his girlfriend. It's a blessing. But you know what? In all honesty, good for them. At least they're there. That's, that's okay. That's all right. Nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions. The only people that criticize New Year's resolutions are people that don't make New Year's resolutions and are happy to be the same. Well, if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, it at least shows you're striving for something. There's a change that you see in your life you need and you want to make, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me give you a good goal. More and more. More and more. Love people more and more. And try to let the love of God be a part of your life. And, and uh, uh, let's, during this Valentine month, let's look at these next three weeks, the three areas of more and more that God would show us how to have more and more of this love. But before we get there, we've got to establish, first of all, why we love in the first place. Why do we really love to begin with? And if it's the foundation of, of everything we're going to discuss in the weeks ahead, that we better lay the foundation. Why do we love? Well, first of all, let me say this to you. God is the source of love. First thing I want you to grasp today is that God is the source of love. Now, that's elementary, isn't it? And you're sitting here thinking, okay, did I come to church to learn that? Well, let me ask you a question. If we know that, then why don't we go to that source for the love that we need for people maybe that are unlovely, people that maybe we're not naturally drawn to? 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Well, the Bible says about him, he's holy, holy, holy. Okay? But when it talks about God, those are the, those, those are the, those are the angels chanting to God. He's a holy God, and yet he's also a loving God. Now, I'm so grateful that he is. 1 John 4, verse 16, and, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. The Bible said, listen, if God's in you, if, if you know Christ, then the primary characteristic that His relationship gives to you is that you love other people. That's not a real popular message, is it, in our day and age? Now, there's some battles we're in. We're in some battles. There have been some battles in California. I've read some things Brother Chapel is writing about, some issues that are vitally important. But isn't it funny that we have a fighting fundamentalist forum, but when you preach on love, people are wondering, well, is he going off course here? Is he straying a little bit? Is he, maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's going liberal because he loves people. No, no, no. Maybe he's going Jesus because that's... That's, what, that's the message of the, of the Lord to us. Love people. Reach people. I, I, I know these words were written to, to save people, but do you know that lost people find their love from the same source that we find ours? Do you know why a lost man can love? Why a man? Do you know why an atheist can love? He can love because he's made in the image of God. And the very God that he professes not to believe in 
It's from the nature of that God that he draws his own ability to love others. So lost people, some of the great love songs that have ever been written were written by lost people, you know, written by people that didn't know Christ. But they understood the emotion of love because they were created in the image of the God who the Bible said is love. And so the source of love, God is that source of love. Number two, His love for us um, uh, enabled our love for Him. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. God is our source of love. Number two, it is His love for us that enables our love for Him. You see, the, the, the reality of the matter is this. Um, nobody was born saved. I've witnessed to people before and said, tell me, tell me about your salvation. Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. It's impossible. You come to me and say, uh, Brother Dean, when, when, when were you born? Well, I've always been born. No, no, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I, mean I, I know as far as you can remember, you've always been here. No, when were you born? No, I've al- I was always born. When did you begin? Well, I, I don't know. I've been here as long as I know. I've been here. No, no, no. August the 30th, 1955. You got a piece of paper? Write that down. August 30th. Anyhow, so uh, August 30th, 1955. When my grandkids talk about it, it's sort of like, were you friends with Abraham Lincoln? You know, smart aleck kids. But anyhow, uh, when they talk about I mean, it's like, wow, you're old, Papa. You know, and uh, look, my face tells me that every morning, so you don't, have to, you don't have to make those statements to me. But the reality of the matter is that we weren't, we weren't born... Now, you may have been born in a Christian family, and you may have gone to church, and you may have memorized the Bible. I remember I memorized my portion of the Christmas play when I was eight, didn't get saved till I was 12. So the reality of the matter, those things don't mean uh, that, that you have a relationship with the Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was God who loved first. A lost and dying world. 1 John 4, 19, we love Him. Well, why do we love Him? Listen to this verse. Because He first loved us. So why can I love God? I can love God because God first loved me and reached down to me. Twelve-year-old boy sitting in Bull Street Baptist Church. Had a lot of religion. Had a good mama that was saved. Had a traditional family unit. But you know what? I was lost. I was unsaved. I didn't know the Lord. I knew some things about the Lord. I'd memorized Scripture, but I didn't know the Lord. I didn't have a relationship with Him. And so why did I love Him? Because He first loved me. He first extended His love toward me, and I'm grateful for that. Like Nicodemus, a man may be religious and may be actively engaged in doing good, but you can't love God truly until you understand the love of God for you expressed on Calvary and you receive Christ as your Savior. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. And so the beauty of it all is simply this. He he loves us. And reject Jesus Christ is reject the love of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Listen to this. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. 
and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. Wonderful thing is not that I love God, it's that God loved me. I'm never your saved. Raise your hand. You know what happened? He loved you first. He reached you first. You know what happened? Linda would one day, Linda found out. He loves me. I'm not, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. She found out that Jesus Christ loved her enough to die for her, and that love is what arrests our heart. I'd been to church my whole life as a 12-year-old boy, and I hear Bobby Richardson talking about being saved. I, I had no idea. I'd never heard that. I knew you're supposed to do good and do right. I knew my mother's heart, but, but, but here I am as a kid, and I hear personal relationship. I knew one thing. I knew I'd memorized Scripture. I knew I'd been to church. I knew I'd done all those things, but I knew I didn't have what that man talked about. And that day, as a 12-year-old boy, my heart was arrested by the fact that Jesus Christ loved me and died for me. I don't even remember one word being mentioned about hell. may have been. I don't remember it. I just remember I realized that Jesus loved me and wanted a personal relationship with me. And that Him loving me first is what enabled me to love him. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Were the skies of parchment made? With every, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Or could the scroll contain the whole so stretch from sky to sky? I'm not sure there's ever been greater words written that came from the heart of a man. What, what truth, the love of God, how rich and pure. Last of all, let me close by simply saying this, and that is loving Him. So, so His love is the source of our, of the source of all love. You, preacher, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm struggling loving. Well, go to the source. Go, go to the source. Just go to the source. How many of you ran out of milk this week? Don't lie. Raise your hand, Calvin. All right. We run out of milk all the time. Man alive, we, we put some milk away. When my kids were young, when my kids were young, we went through nine gallons of milk a week and 21 boxes of cereal. Okay. That did not diminish at all until Nathan left the house. That's the only time that changed. Man, that'd be midnight. They'd, him and John would sit up and pour gigantic Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro, Bodine bowls of cereal and eat them at midnight. And I'm thinking, I wouldn't sleep for 10 hours if I just ate all the sugar and things that they ate. That's why he's got AFib. That's why he's got it. What do you do when you run out? You head to the grocery store. Okay? Go to Winco. My wife shops at like 20 different ones. But anyhow... You, you find the one that's got the best price on the milk, and you go to that one. We'll go down to Wincombe, we, get, we replenish and restock on milk. Well, if you're running out of love, what do you do? You go to the source. Father, I need love. I need to love. I need to love. I'm struggling with this person or in this area. I need to love people. You go to the source. And because he loved us, it enables us to love him. I didn't wake up one day and say, boy, I love God. No, I found out God loved me. And his love for me initiated that relationship. And the only, re listen, the only reason I love God today is because God first loved me and that became clear to me.
People are on their way to hell. You know why? Because the light has never turned on that God loved them so much that he gave his son for them. When you see that picture clearly, and the, the fog is lifted and the scales fall from the eyes, the man realizes how unworthy he is of that. Last of all, loving him allows him to love through us. This is the best part. Loving him, he's the source. His love for me enables my love for him. And when I do love him as I should, it allows him to love through me. Ernie, I don't think there's a greater privilege. I don't think there's a better thing in the whole world than for you to be the person that God grants love to. To give to other people. Um, you ever delivered something that somebody really needed? I mean, just somehow somebody gave you something and it was for somebody else. Would you give this to them? And you had the thrill of, of delivering that, of, of, of getting that gift. You know, if I was a FedEx guy, I'd get fired because I want to see their faces when they come to the door. You know, that, that, right there, boom. I want to see the kids. What's in the package? I want to see the full, the full response in it. You, you know what God does? Here's what God says to me. Hey, Dean, I, I got some love that I want, I want you to give to somebody. And he gives me his love for me to give to somebody else. It's the greatest thrill in all the world to see a life changed, to see somebody's heart touched and moved, not by, not by you. Yours isn't enough. If it was just our love, we would become bitter, cynical, self-inflated, bloated human beings, all wrapped around ourselves. But when you love other people, I'm going to tell you, when you've got the love of God, you're able to love people that are absolutely unlovely people. It's a great gift that God gives us. Loving Him allows Him to love through us. Romans 5, 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost. How many of you know somebody's got financial needs? Raise your hand. Let's see. Got financial needs. What, what if Bill Gates said, Here, here's what I'm going to do. Some of you raised your hand and said, yeah. Where's my mirror? Okay, there you are. Um, that's okay. It's all right. What if Bill Gates came and said, uh, I'm going to deposit some money in your bank. Now, you can't spend it on yourself. I'm going to deposit money in your bank. I want you to, I want you to help people with their bills. Man, here, somebody needs a car. Somebody's got a house problems, what, what would it be like just to be able to take something that belongs to somebody else and give out? That's what this verse is saying. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. You know what God does? He gives us an abundance, an overabundance of love. He says, boom, here, take my love, I'm spreading it in your heart. Now we can squander it or we can give it. So if God, if you're saved and God has, has shed his love abroad in your heart, who are you sharing that with? Don't hoard the love of God. Don't hoard the love of God. Give it out. Bless other people with it. There's, there's plenty where that came from. 
Whoso keepeth his word, John, 1 John 2, 5, in him verily is the love of God perfected. And I think the greatest tragedy of sin, listen to me carefully, I'm going to close in just a minute, but I think the greatest tragedy of sin is not what it, just what it does to us, it's what it keeps us from doing for others. I think that's the greatest tragedy. It's not, it's not how sin just impacts me. It's the collateral damage that keeps me from doing for others the things that God would have me do. Hereby perceive we the love of God, 1 John 3, 16, because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We should become extensions of, love, of God's love. 1 John 3, 17, But whoso seeth uh, hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Do you know the greatest thrill you'll ever have in life is giving out love? It may be in form of a, of, a, of a financial need. It may be in form of a helping hand. It may be in form of a kind word. It may be in form of friendship. But when you're able to give out love that God has given to you, I'm going to tell you it's the greatest thrill in all the world because you're able to be an extension of God's love. How can we claim we love God and yet we have no love for others? Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. I intended today, didn't have time, to cut off a couple of segments of conduit I've got in my backyard. Conduit. Can look through it with a pipe. Kids will put it up to their mouth and to the ear of their cousin and scream in it, blow their eardrum out. It's conduit. It's something that, that water flows through freely when it's pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. So here's the truth of the matter is we're conduit for God. And that conduit is either clear and God's love can flow through us as we live in His Word, as we yield our life to Him, God's love flows through us. Or it's clogged with self, it's clogged with sin, it's clogged with worldliness, it's clogged, it's clogged with, with cares of this world, it's clogged up, and God's love can't get through us to anybody because we're plugged with something or another that God doesn't want there. That's what, that's what His Word does for us. It, you're clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. That's what the Bible says. It cleanses us. So I want to be open conduit. I want God's love to flow through me to somebody else. I want Him to love freely through Gene. If that's to happen, I've got to keep my life cleared for him. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? We're going to talk about love the next weeks. We're going to find out what the Bible says about loving more and more. Now, I want to just say this. God would not have led in this direction if we didn't need it. But we need it. We need to be reminded. We need to love like Jesus loves. To do that, we've got to be a vessel that God can love through. You know what's going to happen this week? This week, God's going to show you somebody 
that he loves and wants to show his love through you this week. Before we meet next Sunday, God's going to tap you on the shoulder. He's going to point somebody out to you, and he's going to say to you, I want to love that person through you. The question is whether you're a conduit, whether you're clear, whether you're willing to let extensions of your love to other people. God, we'll thank you for what you do. We'll give you glory and praise for all of it. Use us this week to show your love to somebody. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.